And welcome to For Fox Sake. My name is Pete Selby, and alongside me once again, Rob Hayes. Rob Hayes, who's fresh from the King Power last night. I couldn't go. I was working, but I was watching through the fingers across my face. Uh, an amazing game. Uh, you were trying to keep up with commentary, and well, how are you doing, Rob? I'm all right, thank you. I'm uh, recovering slowly. One of the main reasons I was able to get down from Sheffield last night was because. Uh, I'm uh, on strike again as a teacher. I'm on strike today, so I've had today to recover. Um, just before we go on to the football, though, Pete, have you recovered from the, the big four <clears throat> o? Uh, just about, yeah. The reason we've had a delay, I've been away. I was away in Egypt for a, for, a, for a very nice break, very nice holiday. We had a great time and, like, um, yeah, I just wanted to see some older things than me, basically, turning 40. So I went to see some pyramids to... to think that I'm still young I'm basically. sure I'm sure I speak on behalf of the listeners when I say happy birthday uh, I can't believe I've got a 40 year old co-host but I mean I've that's you've got to come to terms with that not me uh last night's game the the relegation six pointer honestly the the anyone who's anyone was there obviously it's the Monday night game uh on Sky but they they dragged all sorts of players out every broadcaster was there it was it was a. It was set up. I thought to be a very tense, very tentative kind of nil nil or one nil from a mistake. And how wrong could we possibly be? I've not commentated on a football match for a few months, maybe six months, something like that. I, I commentated on a home game against Southampton before Christmas, sometime I think. Um, and and the listeners that have been with us for a while will understand that the commentary that Pete and I provide at the uh, the King Power is audio descriptive commentary for blind and partially sighted supporters. So the idea is to describe the action in real time, where the ball is. You've got to move that ball around the pitch for 90 minutes with your voice. And uh, I'll tell you what, I've had easier games to audio describe. I'll put it that way. Yeah, it's um, it was bonkers, absolutely bonkers. I was working, I was... Um on air for Labrooks and, and basically the um, any kind of market you can imagine, you know, corners, yellow cards, shots on target, goals, uh, both teams to score. A- a- everything went in, essentially. Play- main players to score. I think two number nine scored, etc. So, yeah, absolutely bonkers. But after the game, and this is on the back, of course, of the, uh, the, the 1-1 draw then at Leeds, where, you know, we really should have won. Overall, it's quite disappointing to to only get then two points from those, and that's really the the plan going forward, isn't it? When we look forward to the the games coming up, we'll look at where they are in the league as a whole. But obviously, we're going to be talking about this game in the majority. It it was just completely insane. Two sides who are completely all over the place, completely all over the place, going for it. First of all, I thought Everton played really well. In theory, I, I thought they would be. Let's keep it completely tight, but no, they came at it. At Leicester kind of played the way we thought they would do. Um, and if it could happen, it it did happen. Half-time, I don't think there's been a first half of football like that all season, where you've got goals, you've got penalty misses, you've got the bar being hit, you've got player uh, possibly having a, a broken leg, you've got goalkeepers making great saves, unbelievable misses. Uh, it's it, it, it was bonkers, really. But the, the, the thing with Leicester... From looking back at the game, the 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 problems in the first team, the the problems this season were shown up massively by poor performances, and also shown up massively by really good performances. Mainly, I'd say the three players who played. I think you could probably say I would go from back to front. You go Danny Leverson, obviously in goal, uh, Soyuncu at the back, and then maybe probably Jamie Vardy up front. So you've got why of those three players a not been playing or b been really off form this season so far when it comes to say Vardy. 
that's all for kind of a, a, a debrief when it comes to what happened with Rogers, etc. But um, it is really looking at the side. We've been saying for an awful long time about Soyuncu. Like, I completely understand why managers who have been there for a certain amount of time fall out with players, essentially. It's just human nature. They decide to go a different direction. But when you're in such trouble as Leicester were for the whole of the season, this isn't a, a, a last three-month job. This is the whole of the season. To keep a guy on the bench who I know players can be thought of better because they're not playing in a poor team. All of a sudden, they become a better player than they were. And Soinchu obviously had his issues before he was dropped. But to then keep him out of the side really looks now completely insane. To to have not brought him back before now is, is bonkers, and obviously by a different manager. Um, the goalkeeping situation, and again, we're not... We're not here to tap pat ourselves on the back and go, well, we've been talking about it all the time and we knew. No, I think everyone was saying the same thing. Everson, completely the same. Completely the same. We, we were banging that drum pretty much from the start of the season. But um, a great display from Daniel Everson, a goalkeeper growing in stature. Um, he also, strangely enough, he seemed... I don't know whether this is just me and my uh, faltering eyesight at my old age. He seemed quite... A lot taller and a lot more dominating as a goalkeeper um, than he has done. Um, but anyway, a, a tremendous display by him. And then you go up to the, the main man up front, Vardy. Ruin that chance that he missed where he chips in and hit the bar. Scoring a very, very you know classic Jamie Vardy goal. Brilliant goal, rounding the goalkeeper. And we'll come on to the penalty and why he didn't take it, etc. But... I think an all-round excellent display and was completely out on his on his legs in the final, say, 15 minutes or so. Um, I thought those three were excellent. I think away from that, there were some huge problems in the team, some really poor disapp- uh, and disappointing displays against an Everton side who I think, looking at it overall, Rob, will be desperately disappointed they didn't win. Leicester, of course, should have been 3-1 up at half-time. So, yes, disappointing there. Overall, I think a draw is probably about a fair result. I would agree, yeah. Once the dust settled on it, I think uh, uh, Matt, who I commentated with, and I, we we said the same thing. If you look at the chances, the big chances that both sides had, uh, and the fact that Everson was the busier of the two goalkeepers, um, but that Leicester should have been 3-1 up at half-time with the, the golden opportunity of a penalty right before the break. And you, you come away and you think, you know, before the game you're saying a draw's no good to either side. And in essence, it's obviously not as good as winning because you get two fewer points. But you do come away with a point rather than nothing. And you can't say that either side settled for it either. I think if neither of the sides were going there trying to get a draw, that's, that's I think, the way that that phrase kind of goes, that a draw doesn't suit either side. And even towards the last couple of minutes of the game, neither side was playing for 2-2. Each side was was playing because it is it was that cliched six-pointer. It was the one where you get three more points, but you you stop your opponent from getting three. So therefore you get the sort of benefit of of, of six points. But you've got to look at it on the balance and you think, right, that that goal or that strike from the edge of the box from Decore, which I think was in Everson's top three saves of the night. I, I agree with you. He had a fantastic game. Um, you know, that goes in and that's end of season for Leicester, in my opinion. I think the team that, if there was to be to have been a winner last night, the team that won uh, would have pretty much been able to get over the line in terms of safety. A draw leaves everything looking very perilous, but a draw it was, and a draw it probably deserved to be in the in the end because there were elements of Leicester's play, like you said, and, and, and individual performances where you think that's the kind of level that will keep us in the Premier League. But then there were huge spaces, there were there was huge periods of the game where you're looking going, oh, this is why we're here. And that's the kind of thing that, unfortunately, in the short space of time that he's been given, or they've been given in terms of the, the coaching staff in Smith, Shakespeare and Terry, they're the kind of things that you can't really iron out because 
they're the kind of things that you're going to need weeks and weeks, if not months, to sort of stamp your authority on it and get all of the players around to the same way of thinking. Um, uh, tactically, uh, it, it takes time to put that together. So they've basically come in to try and G the players up and get them fighting for survival, which I think they've done and they are doing successfully. Uh, we'd have liked to have converted at least one of these draws against uh our relegation rivals Leeds or Everton into three points rather than one, but it's it was it was a bit gung ho for me. And Dean Smith said the same thing. He wanted it to be a bit tighter, um, and I think he'll probably be thankful that we've come away with a point. I am certainly. Yeah, the, the the massive gap in midfield was just alarming. And when you look at the displays of the two centre halves, who I thought were very very good, and the goalkeeper. Aside from those, everyone from essentially the forward line or the, the advanced midfield backwards, I, I thought generally had a bit of a shocker. I thought Castagna was generally all over the place. I know he gave away the penalty, but he was he, he just seemed to be a bit like a headless chicken. Almost, if you could sum up the display, it was probably Castagna really would be that person. You know, he really was all over the place. The other side of the pitch, you've got Thomas, who, as soon as I saw his name on the sheets, you know, a real kind of chill up my spine. And I thought he was poor. I thought they doubled up on him. I would have trebled up on him if I was Everton. Everything would have gone down that side. Um, I both blame him and also he's fairly unfortunate, but I still think it was very weak for the equaliser. When the ball... First of all, why is he not near the man? Pure ball watching. He's got in that position. He looks around to his left or just behind him, there is literally, a, you could draw a 25-yard circle, and there is one player in that circle, and it's the goal scorer, and he's not next to him. Or at least a couple of yards away, so if the ball is played in front of him, he will get there first. If the ball is played behind him, he can be there straight away at the point of the player receiving the ball. He's too far away, and his body's in the wrong position. So the floated ball to him, he goes, turns around, and he turns around, and it's just exactly what I would do, Rob. Not you, being the defender. It's what I would do. And that's as soon as the guy's about to follow it very close to me, I would turn my back, lift my leg, protect myself. It's natural. But when you're a professional footballer, he shouldn't have been in that position in the first place. You should realise that that ball is more than likely not going to go square in your face. Because if it does, it's going miles over the top of the crossbar. If he catches it wrong and it slices away from you, then it's wide. But if he catches it right and hits it low and on target, there's a massive chance it's going to go in the back of the net because the goalkeeper's scrambling over and it'll be a hell of a save or a fortunately hit the keeper. You've got to make yourself big, low, side block, turn your leg, kind of cricket style if you're fielding, and make a wall. Not basically curl up into a ball and you know jump in the air and it goes through you, through the goalkeeper, or well, past the goalkeeper into the back of the net. Just poor, just poor. And he got no help from Barnes anyway down that side. But what can you do? There, there had to have been a reason why Christiansen wasn't playing. Don't know what that reason was. Um, but still, just a, a massive weak point, a real a weak um, moment from Thomas, a player who, when last seen, was essentially clapped off, well, booed by many, but clapped off the field because he'd forgotten how to kick a ball straight. And it was, um, the guy's just completely shot of confidence and we're banging trouble if we're going to be playing him, essentially. Now, again, that's just at the current time. We'll see what happens in the summer regarding his future. Obviously, there is a player there, FA Cup winner, etc. But, nah. Midfield, a shambles. Um, Ndidi and Samare, I know why they played them. They've got some big lads in there. You've got Iwobi, you've got Decore. It's it's a bit of height. We needed a bit of height, especially with, um, say, Thomas at the back. You know, I can see that. That's why Mendy wasn't there. But surely, and obviously from set plays, they're going to be very dangerous. Really, though, those two players are both... I mean, we've, we've, we've discussed Samari. We don't need to talk about him. We've, we we know what Ndidi's like, but this is a shadow of the Wilfred Ndidi that we've seen. Um, 
for them to give away so much room to aside i mean we're we're not talking 2011 barcelona are we we're talking about an everton team here who were scrapping for their lives to have that much space in midfield was awful uh tielemans looked slightly off he looked off it he looks he looks like he's been rushed back, doesn't he? He's not fully fit. He needs to play. There's no doubt about it. The, the moments of, of quality were all there to see. The through ball for Vardy when he hit the bar from the counter-attack after the, the miss at the other end was fantastic. Um, he didn't have the best game. He was just slightly off it again. He's, he's off it by a few yards, isn't he? But he still needs to play. So you got that. you got a, a, a an unfit and slightly slow... Tielemans alongside two galloping essentially giraffes there and I'm calling them that because they're there for their height that's the only thing reason they're there surely Mendy should have been brought in earlier um, maybe Dennis Pratt as well should have been brought in second half it cried out for someone to be able to put the foot on the board and I was saying why aren't they bringing Pratt on bring Pratt on now stick him right in the middle of the pitch and just say get a hold of that ball you're going to play with your mates Tielemans in front of you. Knock the ball out wide. Just be safe. Keep the ball. Ask for the ball. Tielemans obviously can't do that at the moment, but he can do that through balls, etc. Just bring a bit of calmness in. Yes, you might be then lacking that one player from corners, but it was it was, it was was terrible. And then out wide, Madison, obviously a lot of great touches, etc. We'll come on to the penalty and all that. Um, Barnes was... was completely I didn't realize he was playing until the second half and he touched the ball um and Vardy was was really sharp really really sharp up front and um well we need Vardy to continue in that vein of form because we haven't got Kelechi Iheanacho and Daka um will be coming on for Vardy I think on, and that's that kind of his role at the moment but the midfield was just a real mess and if it wasn't for and Soyuncu I thought Soyuncu was great great and he and you could see the determination once he um he took his eye off the ball once the ball came to him and he tried to control the ball but he was already looking where he was going to pass the ball at the start of the second half and it kind of just bounced off his shins and he ran after the ball and i don't know who the everton player was but they must have gone right i'm going to intercept this looking and then saw this turkish center half steaming towards the ball to say hang on that's mine i know i've just miscontrolled it and he went straight through the player, got the ball and carried on. <laughs> and I was like, that is what you want. A player makes a mistake, makes up for it straight away, got the ball and he's like, carry on. Brilliant. That's exactly what, we, well, what we've needed all season. And But the midfield was just a mess. And surely, surely it needs to change for the next game. And in a way, I know that the height issues around the team, etc., but if the if you're being really serious, Samare and Ndidi should no be nowhere near the team when you've got Pratt and Mendy who can play. Surely a Pratt, Mendy, and Tillemans midfield that is so much better at this current time than the two who's currently playing. It, it's just they're there for the corners. Tillemans and two giraffes. Uh, I wasn't expecting a, a phrase like that this afternoon. I've, I've enjoyed that. They yeah, Samari's been favoured by Dean Smith since he's come in, and you can understand why because although we have criticised him on this podcast in all of our wisdom, of course, uh, he does have many attributes that make him an effective footballer. And at times last night, he carried the ball very well from deep inside his own half, which did relieve a lot of pressure. Yes, he did. Yes, uh, he naturally is is big and strong. Um, I think the problem with Samari came later on in the game uh, and it was a similar thing to what you were saying about Tielemans where they completely ran out of steam because the game was like a basketball match at times where they were completing 70-80 yard sprints and then having to turn around and go back and do exactly the same thing in the opposite direction time and time again. Samari's not had an awful lot of football this season. Tielemans, as you say, just coming back from an injury... Uh, would probably have wanted something a little bit more sedate to try and get himself back into into first-team football and back up to speed with the Premier League. The, the game began to bypass them, and when they did get on the ball, um, Samari made a couple of big mistakes on the halfway line 
that uh, that led to Everton counterattacks. On paper, it should it should have matched up reasonably well because they um, they played similar shapes. Really, the two teams they had both sides had three central midfielders, um, and you know you could have looked at it as four three threes, as four five ones at times if you wanted to, four two three ones. Either way, both teams had a central striker. Uh, both teams had two wide men. Both teams had three men in the centre midfield. So it should have cancelled itself out a little bit. But Everton, Everton played the space a lot better uh, for the majority of the game in the sense that I thought um, Idrissa Gay was everything that a defensive midfielder should be in the Premier League. Um, obviously, he's played for PSG. He's, he's a very experienced international footballer. He's a very good player. Um, but the amount of times that a loose ball in the midfield just ended up on his foot was quite remarkable. And, you know, I had to keep double-checking that it was him every time on commentary because the the ball would again break down somewhere and he'd be the one with it. And you'd go, flipping heck, surely it can't be him again. I'm making a mistake here. And it was him time and time again. That's the thing that Ndidi in the past has been phenomenally good at. At, at, at times, one of the best in the Premier League at. And, and that's when... You know, a few seasons ago, you're talking about big money moves, big clubs watching him. Uh, and at that stage, he was early 20s as well. So you're saying, this is a talented young player. Look how, look how good he is. And I, I didn't see him win a single tackle or breakdown or anything in the Leicester midfield yesterday evening. But he was very stretched because Samari was expected to be working box to box. And... Um, Clearly, when Leicester triggered the sort of pressing motion, when when Vardy was was really motoring at the centre backs or the defenders, Tielemans was the one that was mainly tasked with supporting that because obviously Vardy can't go and shut Pickford down on his own because then Pickford can, uh, can play it to either two of the centre backs, whichever one Vardy's not covering, and you know they can play out relatively easily. So Tielemans was was detailed with with making that move fifteen twenty yards further up the field, but then. Once Everton bypassed that, and they did so on a number of occasions, didn't always, Leicester's press was, was decent at times, then that's when the space appeared in the centre of midfield for them to sort of drive through. And then Samarian and Didi are uh, a 3v2, and Everton could, could wade forward. Uh, and then the additional problems then came from the fact that McNeil and Iwobi uh, the two wide men for Everton were coming into central positions. So Everton essentially had five men in the centre of midfield at times where Leicester only had Ndidi and Samare. And they were looking about at times going, well, where do I go? Do I go ball? Do I go this man? Do I go this man? Who can I pass on? Um, because Leicester's fullbacks couldn't help out because they were pinned back by Everton's fullbacks, Coleman and then Patterson on the right and um, Mikalenko down the left-hand side. And that's because Barnes wasn't at it. He's he's been he's he's back. Not I wouldn't say too soon, but he wasn't available. wasn't able to get up and down as you would want him to. Um, Madison was basically playing where he wanted, and was not particularly helpful defensively unless he was chasing an, an individual player back or the ball back. So Leicester were massively outnumbered. And Everton just continued to swarm their way through. And even when they couldn't, they had a plan B, which was get the ball up to Calvert-Lewin, who I think in the first half lost one, maybe two of must have been, uh, this isn't an official stat, this is what I what I saw and what I commentated on, 15 aerial battles. He, he can only have lost one or two of those off his head or off his chest. Um, and that's no slight to see until fast, but... but Calvert-Lewin is, what, 6'2", 6'3", big, strong, quick, determined. He made a massive difference to Everton and they got second balls off him again in the middle of the park. So Leicester were just completely overwhelmed and that ultimately is why Everton looked so good. They got the ball, they had 15, 20 yards of, of green space in the middle of the pitch, drive into it, you frighten the defenders. They could get up to the edge of the penalty area as Leicester's defence retreated before anybody really paid them any attention. Uh, and that will be concerning, I think, to Dean Smith. You're right, Pete, I think, with the fact that there's a lot of options on the bench. There were question marks as to whether Dean Smith should have gone a bit earlier with some substitutions and, and should those substitutions have been 
um, more focused on the on the middle of the pitch. I, I understand that Barnes needed to come off. Um, he couldn't complete ninety minutes, although it was quite late for him to come off. Uh, I, I know that Madison got drafted into the more central position as Daka came on, and, and indeed he was sacrificed. But we've got on the bench there. You've got Mendy who covers a lot of ground and is. Very similar in that sense to Gay, and those two did a, a sterling job together for for Senegal, didn't they? In the in the African Cup of Nations, you've got Dennis Pratt, who is the epitome of box to box midfielder, and was desperately needed when you know a couple of times Dakar got the ball in the in the centre of midfield. He, we worked very hard, Dakar. I can't fault that down the right hand side. Make made a couple of challenges on the edge of his own penalty area. Really, you can tell he's committed. And, and he's a hard-working player, but he got the ball in an opportunity to either drive with it or launch a counter-attack. And I think he fell over both times because he couldn't decide what to do with it. Whereas if you've got Dennis Pratt, an international midfielder on that ball, you're much more likely to make a better decision. You could even have brought a Dewsbury Hall in on, a, uh, on, a, on in a game like this because it was so... It required so much up and down, so much leg speed, so much sort of uh, forwards and backwards. And Jewsbury Hall is is that box-to-box midfielder again. I, I think it could have been kept tighter in the midfield by bringing on some fresh legs because Tielemans and, and Samari were running through treacle for the last 10-15 minutes. Yeah, they were. And also, when you look at how, and even though obviously there's been a change of manager, etc., you can't really ultimately change overnight the way that Leicester play. Now, you can get the ball further forward or further forward quicker. But ultimately, you're still going to be passing through the lines and looking for the three balls from the likes of Madison and Tillemans, which we saw for the for the Vardy goal and the Vardy off the bar. So in that sense, then, bringing on players like Mendy to then instantly pass the ball to a more cultured and creative player like he can, better than the others, better than Samara, better than Wilfred Ndidi. If Wilfred Ndidi's passing the ball, he's passing it to the opposition, like he did in the in, a, in the home game a few weeks ago for the goal. And uh, and, and so I, I couldn't understand why he wasn't on. Again, Pratt, Jusby Hall, exactly the same as Pratt. Same argument, exactly the same reason. I, that's what I, I didn't like in the second half, when it became apparent that Everton were always going to create chances and those chances predominantly were not from bombardments into the box for those players um, who would, would out-jump ours without an Ndidi and Samare. It was through getting the ball down the wings and then getting the ball in the middle but towards the man you mentioned, Calvert-Lewin, who's being marshaled by the bat too. So, so it wouldn't have mattered. Yes, corners and free kicks would have been an issue, but they're going to be an issue anyway with Leicester. Let's face it. So, but you have a more dominant goalkeeper who who does command his his six yard box a whole lot more than than the previous goalkeeper. So, so you do have that as an option, you know, as a, as a protection. And so, if you're looking at our strengths, we didn't kind of play to our strengths in that midfield. We did up front, and we did with the likes of Tielemans and, and Madison in particular, and especially Vardy then at front. But we didn't play to our strengths. Barnes wasn't given the ball enough. But then again, if you've got the two of three defensive midfielders or two of three midfielders not being able to pass the ball properly. Samari, I agree, I agree with you. He did run out of defence a fair amount with the ball, carried it forward and, and had a few nice passes. But still, the, woefully short of what you said that Adrissa Gay is good at, and that's picking up those loose balls, being in the right place at the right time, making those smart, um, very efficient, clean tackles, which indeed he used to. Basically, things that Mendy does, that's what Mendy can do. Also, Pratt, I, I, I still don't understand the, the, the lack of a, a Dennis Pratt in, in, in the first team in the position that we're in. So... We're winning by two goals to one. They score the penalty straight down the other end. We score um, through, I would say, a bit of a clumsy goal, but turned in by by a player full for the cause in Soyuncu. Good for him. Headed down by Fass. And yes, there you go. Um, back in the game. A wonderful second goal. Great through ball by Madison. Vardy, classic Vardy. Round the keeper scores. Brilliant. Fantastic. Can we go in 2-1? We get a penalty. Now, there's been a lot of talk this morning on Twitter about Madison being wanting to take the penalty because of 
um because of, of, of kids and wanting to celebrate and all that sort of thing or wanting to be because it's on tv i don't buy it at all mainly because the manager comes out at the end of the game and says well no but he's the penalty taker he's been taking penalties Tielemans missed a few and mad and vardy's not always on the field so he's not now the first choice taker it's madison so that was the decision before the game madison's the penalty taker and he then takes the penalty and misses they, I, I, I generally think it's as much as that. Now, I would have preferred Vardy <laughs> after timing, possibly, but I just thought Jamie Vardy would take the penalty. It's a crucial penalty at the cop end to go in 3-1 up. I, I just thought Vardy would take it. I, in fact, to be honest, I expected Yuri Tillemans to take it because he had the ball in his hands, but the, the tactic now is for him to hold the ball or someone to hold the ball and then give it to the penalty taker. Um, so if there's any hassle from the opposition, they're hassling the wrong guy. But Madison steps forward to take the penalty. I had absolutely no problem. He then misses, but Pickford's a good penalty taker. He had it written on his bottle, etc. He went down the down the middle. How many goals have been scored down the middle? Well, you look half an hour earlier. Calvert-Lewin did exactly the same, and it goes in. So I don't blame Madison at all. He missed a penalty. We've seen Vardy miss penalties, crucial penalties. We've, we've seen everyone misses penalties. I've not got a problem with the penalty whatsoever. It was immensely disappointing. Yes, you go in 3-1 and you can really say we should have then gone on to win, but we didn't. But overall, really, it's um, it's all about the fact that Leicester, in my opinion, hung on. We had a good 15-minute spell in the mid part of the second half um, with a few chances, a few goal-mouth scrambles, etc. But then really hung on in the final 10 minutes. So I'm, that's why I'm basing it being a good point overall in theory, even though you're missing a penalty to go 3-1 up. But I, I didn't have a problem. I, I think it's just people trying to find an excuse really for and, and looking for something that generally wasn't there. It's an easy one to pin it on as well, isn't it? Because of the timing of it, because Madison is a player that everybody likes to talk about, whether you're a Leicester fan or not, um, because he is so open with the media and with the fans as well. Um, you know, you could you could turn that around and say, why is... Um, um, he's had a bit of stick, Timothy Castagne, but nobody's really talking about his needless barge in the back of Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Um Nobody's really talking about any other incidents in the match and everyone's trying to pin in, pin this on Madison. How much of an impact could this have on the season? Well, you can go through every single match of the season where points have been dropped by individual errors or anything that's happened and say, oh, this has had a big impact on the season. Of course it has. And, and things will get magnified as we get towards the end of the season and we're in the predicament that we're in. I understand that. Um I, I don't I'm just going to play devil's advocate very slightly because I'm not quite as comfortable with the penalty decision as URP. I'm not I'm not uh, necessarily the complete opposite way but I I just go back to a manager like Nigel Pearson who in a reasonably similar situation to this was phenomenally good at keeping the pressure off of the players uh, and negotiating potentially uh, tricky situations where individual players might have been blamed and shouldering that on himself and even doing daft stuff that got the headlines and took them away from individuals or players' performances, which I'm, I'm absolutely convinced were not moments of madness. They were moments of brilliance. And I just wonder if Dean Smith has realised here that the media and certain fans are going to want to get on Madison's back for the penalty and has come out and said straight away, oh, well, yeah, this is what we planned. It, it, it may be telling the truth completely. I'm, I'm just wondering, there's maybe something in the back of my mind that says that might not be entirely true. Uh, you know, with players like Vardy and Tielemans on the pitch, having both um, taken more penalties than James Madison, who I think now, I think I saw a stat uh, this morning or last night saying that he's missed more Premier League penalties than he's scored which is not great. I know it's a small number of penalties that he has taken. And yes, you can look at Pickford's water bottle, which is obviously um, a moment of fine margin and attention to detail that, that if you put it on the flip side, could have saved Everton uh, from 
from uh, well gained them a point really in terms of the penalty save uh, and therefore could have a big impact on their season you could look at it that way round um, and i think some some angles of the story are I think the thing with the penalty is if you get in at 3-1 after Everton have just um, had a bit of a long pause because their club captain's gone down with a quite a bad looking injury and you go into the break at 3-1, then Dean Smith, Shakespeare, Terry can say, right, this is the game plan for the second half. We've got a two goal cushion. We can just sit five or ten yards deeper and defend what comes at us. I'm not saying like backs to the wall for 45 minutes but Everton proved that they did not want to draw that game just as much as we did with both sides trying to launch the ball forward in the last couple of minutes still so there's they would they would have come out all guns blazing second half which if you defend that adequately and it's a two goal lead to defend then that will as the second half goes on that will leave gaps and as you said, Vardy was looking razor sharp. The balls into the channels and over the top of the defenders had caused Everton some problems, which is something we've really not done enough of this season. It's something that we've said on this podcast benefits Vardy and Dakar, that that kind of um, forward pass that Rodgers seemed very reluctant to employ. But we had the opportunity then to, to hit Everton on the counter and manage the game. Concede possession, fine. We pretty much had in the first half anyway, because Everton, I think, were a bit better on the ball than us. Uh, maybe a lot better in, in certain times. But then we could have just, I'm not saying held on, but kept things solid. Maybe had a couple of breakaway chances ourselves. And that could have had a big bearing on the game. But like I say, there are so many incidents that happen in every single game that could or could not have a bearing on this season. Uh, and ultimately, we've got four games to go. Is the season going to be defined by Madison's penalty down the middle no was it a great penalty no we move on yeah we do move on and we move on to look at those games and to look at where we stand and, and what we can get because we've got Fulham away we've got Liverpool at home Newcastle away and West Ham at home as we know on the final day and we're on the same amount of points as the side's around is obviously in the league we're on we're in, we're up in 16th of course we're clear but we're on 30 points the same as Leeds same as Forest and one point ahead of Everton um the next round of games in the Premier League is I think where it, I know you've still got three games to go but it's very easy to turn around and go these are the games that are going to be the deciding factor I think they're going to go an awful awful long way into deciding who stays up and who ultimately goes down so next week it's all on the same day it's on the 8th coronation day i think it is um three o'clock fulham against leicester Five thirty, brighton against everton and eight o'clock forest against southampton um we all know i do a bit of work for southampton they're absolutely appalling at the moment. Yes, they turned up a, a little bit against an, a faltering Arsenal side, but honestly, they, they, they were woeful against Bournemouth. Woeful. And I know they scored against Newcastle, but ultimately got pretty much easily turned over in the end. Um, I can't see anything bar a Forest win. I really can't. Unless they just absolutely throw it in. Um, Brighton, you'd, you'd fancy against Everton. You really would. And then we travel to Fulham. A Fulham side with nothing really to play for. Uh, we know the main man's not been uh, not not in the side. And then you look at their recent form um, in the Premier League since they uh, they drew at home against Wolves, and you're going back to February. Uh, since then, you are um, losing at Fulham, or lost at Fulham, lost at home against Arsenal, uh, lost at Bournemouth, uh, beaten at home against West Ham. Then they beat Everton and they beat Leeds and then they lose to Villa, lose to Manchester City, only by two goals to one, but still. So they're a side who are on the beach, you would say. Um, it's a game Leicester need to get something from. A win, fantastic. But they need to get something from it. If they win, then that would naturally put them, because they've got the better goal difference, 
uh, they'll give themselves a one game cushion they could lose and the other teams can win and would still be in front so that's a huge boost a three points would be amazing but they cannot in my opinion with Liverpool oh I know a ropey but still um, and Newcastle to come I, I just can't imagine a defeat I, I can't imagine if they lose to Fulham that we'll be getting anything from the next two games and then you're relying on a victory against West Ham with more than likely points coming for the other sides before the final day of the season so it's so disappointing we didn't get three points from at least one of the last two games but I think if Leicester I, I, I'm probably going to go as far as saying I know I'm relying on other teams to do things who are awful Leeds are dreadful at the moment Forest can't win away from home or get anything away from home but they've got home game against Southampton coming up so there's your three points I'm looking at this thinking 33 points might be absolutely fine you might survive. I think Leicester could survive in the Premier League on 33 points because of their goal difference. Um, that means that they need one win. It could be the last day of the season. But I think that might be enough because of the poor performances of the other sides and the games that they've got. Um, I'm going to go as far as saying if we beat Fulham, we're going to stay in the Premier League because it might be enough on 33 points. But ultimately, I think if we lose, then I think we're going to go down because... I can't see us picking up points in the next two games. And then you, you're relying on a final day shootout, which anything can happen. Um, what are your thoughts regarding the league position and what we kind of, not we need to the end of the season. Well, yeah, yeah. The, the kind of synopsis of the, the end of the season run. It's funny that you said that uh, if we win against Fulham, we're safe. And if we lose against Fulham, we're down. Because I had exactly the same sentiments before last night's game against Everton. And then we went and drew. So where do you, just before I say my piece, Pete, where do you stand if Leicester draw against Fulham? Well, if Leicester draw against Fulham, then it's it's doing exactly the same position as they were beforehand because you're looking at, again, you're predicting the other side's performances. You're looking at a Leeds team who at the moment can't do a single thing right and are probably going to have big Sam in charge. They travel to Manchester City, so they're going to get nothing there. So they lose... And I know we're predicting games of football, but if you if you're going on Everton losing at Brighton, Forest can still win, and we draw, we'll be outside of the relegation zone. So nothing changes. We still need that. We'll still need a performance and points on the last day of the season. So again, I I just don't. I think it's the same again. I think it's just the the the, the same applies. If we draw, then we're in exactly the same position. But yeah, that's 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 the way it is at the moment for me. The magic 40 points is is going to be a an unachievable total for most of the sides, if not all of the sides that are currently in what you'd class as the relegation battle. Um, to the point where you've got to say Wolves, although nowhere near mathematically so, uh, are more than likely safe on 37 points. Bournemouth have, have put together a, a sensational run. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, even, I, I put them... As, as probably finishing 19th. I couldn't see them getting any more points and, and they've done superbly well. Fair play to them. Um, I think West Ham will, will have enough. So really, we're in a five-team league table uh, and we are currently top of that league table um, with every team playing having played the same amount of games. So if you consider it not a relegation battle, but a, a title race. If you were in that position with four games to go, you'd be like, right, it's in your hands. And, you know, regardless of what the other teams do around you, you take care of your results. You're in pole position. The, the problem, as you said there, is that the fact that the fixtures don't look particularly kind. They're not the worst set of fixtures for a team in the bottom five, but they're not, um, not the most straightforward to navigate either. Fulham not really got a lot to play for. Um... And, you know, you're looking at it, they, they've lost more games than they've won this season. Uh, we have scored one more goal than them. So they're not, like, amazingly better than us. They've just found a way of winning Premier League games more so than Leicester have this season. And fair play to them. That's why they are six points high, uh, six places rather higher in the Premier League table. But they've, they're very much beatable. It doesn't really matter that they're a top half team. Um, at, at this stage of the season and, and without Mitrovic they're not uh, anywhere near the same kind of side I think Leicester are going to need 36 points for safety 
Um, oh, yeah. And I think that those two sets of maximum points uh, are going to come against Fulham and are going to come against West Ham in uh, last game of the season. I can't see West Ham having uh, still having a game in hand on us. I can't see West Ham still being in the relegation mix come the end of the season, at which point it's kind of like, oh, few players are leaving, don't really care anymore. Dave, David Moyes is probably going as well. You know, as soon as they preserve their Premier League status, um, and I think actually the the uh, Europa Conference League could play into Leicester's hands here because if they put all of their focus then on that and kind of disregard the Premier League, it doesn't matter to them what happens on the last game of the season as long as they're safe. That's an opportunity for Leicester to take advantage and get the points that they need. Just to confirm, Rob, just to confirm, the Conference League final is on the 7th. So it will be obviously after then the final day of the season. It will be um, essentially the week after. So if they do get through to that final, in fact, if they lose the semi-final in heartbreak, then that could just ruin them. And if they do get through to the final, then they could be essentially, right, I don't want to miss out on arguably the biggest game I might play for the club. Exactly. The players are not going to be, you know, if you want you want to play in a Europe, European final, regardless of what you think of the competition, you're not going to be going wholeheartedly into 50-50s. You're probably going to be trying to save a bit of your energy just in case, you know, you're completing like an 85th minute long sprint and your hamstring just sort of tweaks a little bit. Uh, you, you might even see uh, a fair amount of squad rotation from Moyes just to, to preserve that. Um, I know we're predict we're, we're attempting to predict the future, which is obviously impossible. And uh, it we'd have been much more positive if we'd have taken points off of the teams like Leeds and Everton in the last couple of games. But you know, silver linings. You know, we're endlessly optimistic on this podcast. Um, and my wife says it's to a fault. She'll say any any result or performance by Leicester, I'll always try and find a positive. And the positive is we prevented Everton and Leeds from getting three points in our last two fixtures. And if you look at the form, the the five sort of five match form table that I've got in front of me here on the BBC Sport website, our form is the best out of the teams in the bottom five. And if you're talking about momentum, you've got still a bit of new manager bounce. Um, you've got the the atmosphere at the King Power was fantastic. You've got the fact that we are at the top of that five-team league table and we are still in pole position to remain in the Premier League. And as and, and we've just got to sort of channel that as a positive energy, um, proof that we created chances and, and, and can convert them. Vardy back-to-back goals in the Premier League for the first time in a year um, is, is massive for us. He suits the style of play that we're trying to use here to get us out of this predicament. Um, and I just think... A couple of things tightened up, uh, a couple of players making better decisions, uh, and we will be absolutely fine. Tielemans and Barnes will benefit from playing that 90 minutes, although it was a, a, a knackering 90 minutes. They'll benefit from having a couple of days of recovery and having that match sharpness in their legs. I, I think six points, we, we should have enough inners to get six points, and I think six points will be enough to keep us in the Premier League. So what's uh, what's going to be the score then on uh, in the away game at Craven Cottage? What's your prediction? Uh, we're still not going to keep a clean sheet. Absolutely no chance of that. And the the endless optimism stops there. Fulham will score. Leicester will score more than them. That's my prediction. Three one. Three one. I'm going to go. I'm going to go for. A, I'm going to go for a clean sheet. I'm going to go for a a one nil. <laughs> I'm going to go for a one nil. Maybe from. Um, Maybe from a defender, maybe from one of the centre halves. Um, yeah, I'm going to go for a one-nil Leicester away win. Very, very similar thoughts. I think. Um, I think if you're a, well, when you look at fancy football, you can see that they're a, almost a, a two-player side. Um, obviously, Mitrovic isn't there, and then Pereira will, will passing in midfield to to essentially no one up front or not a target man who who does so much the whole team is built around Mitrovic and that's not just him scoring goals scoring penalties being that top class center forward but also having the the ability then to have him in the center and go right everyone else play around me you know be the tricky wingers be the the more cultured players with him being the complete battering ram but also being technically excellent um always good to see a, a real 
top class big centre forward like that, kind of an, a, a Zeko type player as well. But you know, really top class. He's not there, um, and I just think if we keep it tight, I think if, we, if it turns into a you know a, a, a kind of an end to end game, they they do have quality. I, I think they need to keep it tight, Leicester. Um, but ultimately, we can beat them. You know, I don't think they're any great shakes. They've done fantastically this year. But I think that we can beat them. And I think we'll try and keep it tighter. And I'm going to go for a Leicester 1-0 victory. That's my uh, that's my thoughts. Um, now, Rob, if I was to say two names to... Or one name, but uh, the first, well, first thing that comes to your mind, Jim Donnelly. Yeah, he's uh, the one of the supporter liaison fellas at the King Power. Nice bloke. Yes. Uh, someone what we know. What well, essentially are you, yes. Are you going to um, drag his name through the dirt and, and pick up this this Everton story? I'm not dragging his name through the dirt at all. I'm on I'm on Jim's side. Jim who I've known for about 20 years and we've known kind of professionally for um a decade basically. Um the the supporter liaison officer. So if you tweet at LCFC help then that's the guy. He's the main front of the football club when it comes to supporters. Um, and he's done it for years. He's the guy celebrating behind Claudio Ranieri maniacally when um, I think it was with, was it Joe's goal against uh, Norwich. I think it was that in the title when he's seen. That's Jim. Scott, he, he's uh, got a big Scottish accent. Nice guy. Seems like he's got a 12,000 million jobs um, on the match day. But anyway... Today, I mean, it's the most ludicrous story, but if you've not heard this, then it's it's grown wings and I think it will be in the press and that for, for many reasons. But basically, there's a uh, a lady in the, a young lady in the away end, so in the Everton end, and she's tweeted this 30 minutes into the match and she's got pictures of her outside the ground. 30 minutes into the match, just being kicked out of the Leicester versus Everton match by a steward called Jim Donnelly. I think you'll find he's uh, the chief supporter of liaison officer. But anyway, because I have my sixth-month-old baby with me, who I have a ticket for in brackets. They had no problem letting me in with him and taking my tickets. And she has a picture of said baby. And then she's got a picture of Jim and a picture of uh, of the uh, of, of Jim's basically uh, id so basically she's saying she's taking a, she's taken a six month old baby in to the foot into the ground and she's been kicked out now straight away you look at it and go right she's obviously got through the turnstiles because she might she could have had the baby under her top she's got kind of a, it's strapped to her front and after half an hour or in join the game the stewards in the away end have gone there's a baby in the away end. They've called on the chief steward, the chief, you know, Jim, and Jim's gone in typical Jim fashion. I'll go and do. I'll go and do it. And Jim's gone up to, or, or maybe the stewards have tried to get get her out the ground already, but have failed. Jim's gone over and says, "You've got to leave. You can't have a baby in the away end where there's pyros going off, there's goals and all sorts of." And the baby's not wearing any ear protectors, by the way. This is just a six-month-old baby. And then she's obviously complaining that her other kids are inside the ground as well. Now, whether A, that's true, or which she says she was left out in the cold on her own and all this. Now, I can't believe that was the case, knowing Jim, you know. Um, she could imagine she's just kicked off. Some of the replies are unbelievable. There's a, Obviously, a lot of Everton fans are saying this is a disgrace and all this. So many are going, you've taken a six-month-old baby in a football ground. First of all, you can't. There's a two-year-old, uh, two-year age limit in uh, at the King Power for all supporters. It seems like she doesn't realise when it says all supporters, that means away fans. That's what she's arguing the case for. And she seems to be trying to get anyone and everyone involved from, you know, anyone involved in football to the Pope, basically. Um, and also... She claims that the baby has been to five away games already. One of them as back as far as December, when it would have been not even two, uh, three months old. A really? Oh come on! Um, there's a few nice replies saying, "How crikey, how many points has the baby got already for an away ticket?" You know that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think I speak for everyone going. 
what are you doing going to an away game on Monday night football, 8 o'clock kickoff at the King Power, with your six-month-old baby strapped to your chest in an away end? You could be the biggest fan of the football club that's ever existed. Still, if that's the choice, nah. Secondly, Jim's. It's, she's obviously got through... What happens if the baby's injured? There's a last-minute goal and a surge or anything like that. If the baby's injured, the football club have got no leg to stand on. They're, they're, they're really they're in trouble because the baby's got in. Jim has been told this. Surely she's got, the baby's got to get out there. You can't, you can't have a baby in the way and you've got to leave now. So, yeah, but anyway, it's, it's growing a lot of traction. There's, there's a lot of, it, again, it's, it's, but it, ultimately it's mad, isn't it? What what is she doing? Just watch it at home on Sky, and then none of this even happens. It was it wasn't a particularly cold evening, but like you say, the noise, the smoke bombs that were going off in the Everton end, the you, you and I and our listeners um, have been to enough away games between us to understand that they're not always the most cordial of affairs, where people are sat down very politely. Uh, and very safely and following all the instructions. I mean, there was a Tannoy announcement asking all fans to sit down at one point, and, and uh, I mean, that didn't go down very well with the Leicester fans either, to be fair. But uh, like you say, having known Jim for so long in our in our role at the King Power Stadium, the fact that he is the supporter liaison officer, he's the man, the main link between the club and the Disabled Supporters Association, uh, and on whose behalf we provide the audio descriptive commentary service, he is... His job is to make sure that every supporter has the best experience possible at King Power Stadium, including keeping them safe. You're absolutely right. Can you imagine the the um, the sort of backlash on the club and, and, and possibly Jim in, in his position of superiority if that baby had, like, God forbid, got injured or, or anything like that? Um, it would have been huge. So... And I can't, I can't imagine, I can't imagine Jim taking a tone like that the lady has suggested in her social media post. I can't, I've seen him deal with lots of different situations. You know, you and I have dealt with him a lot. Um, not always pleasant conversations with, with him in terms of the fact that sometimes some, something in our equipment's gone wrong or or for some reason our service has not been able to, to meet the standards that it should do. Uh, and yet he's always in our in my experience being very professional uh, and just as i say his main job is to make sure everybody is safe and enjoys a positive experience and he from from my point of view handles difficult conversations very well it's 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 something to to get the the likes and the traction on the socials isn't it surely yeah surely but by the way that's a really really good point when we see jim it's normally because in fact, 99% of the time, it's because there's a problem. There's a problem with a supporter. There's a problem with some radio. There's a problem with, I don't know, the commentary, whatever. There is an issue. So we see Jim not as a, all right, mate, how are you? Every game, shake hands. How's the family? No. If we see Jim, there is a problem. And Jim's sorting it out. And the radio goes, Jim, there's a baby in the away end. He then jumps to action and goes, the baby needs to leave the ground. It's. I mean, from all from from watching it on TV, you were there. It sounded like an amazing atmosphere. It's too loud for a three month, uh, six month. It's unbelievable. <laughs> it is. It's it's completely bonkers. And I've I've got the old um, the Billy BS out on the go on this one. But the fact that she's got photos, I I don't believe. I believe, obviously, that she was in the ground and then she was take, you know, escorted out of the ground. Look, I'd imagine she would have kicked up and imagine the supporters around her would have kicked up a massive fuss that she's got to leave. But again, once the baby's been identified in the away end, it's, it's got to leave. I'd imagine if there's a baby standing, in the, well, standing, um, being on, a, on the chest of one of the Union FS lads or, or girls, I'd imagine it would be exactly the same. Of course it would be. Um, yeah, it's it's complete, but it's it's something that you might see in the press in the next few days because again, it's getting a bit of traction and it's a it's a if if you were a journalist or something, you look at that and go, oh, there's a a strange story, and you might I'd want to do a bit of digging and try and find some. Like, have you got any photos of the baby at Forest Away when it was three months old or something like that? You know, um, that 
strangely they are omitted from her tw- uh, um, Twitter profile. But anyway, whatever. It's um, it did make me laugh this morning, and as it kind of gathered traction, it just became even more bizarre. But it's just strange that because we know Jim, so it was like, oh, there you go. Um, nice to see a lot of uh, Leicester fans on the on the timeline saying, "Hang on, you're getting the wrong idea here. This guy's done the job for years, and he's a he's a top man. You know, um, just the sort of person you want." Um, down at the football club and he might be delivering the wrong answer that you want can I get a ticket for this no this is the reason why and that's it you know if he can do it he can but he will but if he can't it's that's that's what it is you know but that's that's the end of the day that's what it is but um yeah very strange um <laughs> who, who would have thought it some great comments one of them says it's um uh it amounts to child abuse and someone goes well hang on that's a bit strong he's like no no making making the baby an Everton fan <laughs> um stuff like that but anyway there we go um right when it comes to fancy football we're in the middle of a of, of a game week rob um so it's uh we, we won't do an update and with only a few games to go um it is becoming fairly tight at the top of the table just to give you an, an update uh at the moment Emerson Blues Jack R is topped by uh, 13 points but again we're in the middle of a game week so it does look like it's between him and Glenn Richardson, the Glen's Maple Foxes, who's those 13 points behind um, for the title. Very close in the top 10 itself. Really close from like eighth uh, all the way to third. Uh, there's actually only uh, 18 points between those. So it, it can all change. So that's why we're not doing. And also I've dropped down a tremendous amount because I couldn't get Wi-Fi very well in the hotel, which ultimately was a blessing because when you're on holiday, you don't want to be... You kind of automatically go for your phone, don't you? You know, you might be listening to a podcast or music or whatever, but you automatically kind of go for it and have a look on Twitter or whatever. But because you can't, it it was great to kind of get rid of that. The problem is I missed out on a few weeks of fancy football and it all went wrong. Um, So, anything else in the world of Leicester, Rob, um, that has caught your eye? No, just to clarify, I'm in the same boat with fantasy football. I've actually sacked my manager uh, and I'm uh, I'm going without a manager till the end of the season, which basically means I forgot for two or three weeks in a row. I plummeted. I lost all interest in it. I'm only looking at the top 10 now in, in for Fox 8 Podcast League. I'm not interested in what my team's doing because I haven't picked it for weeks. I've given up. I'm on the beach. I'm on holiday. I'm done. Oh, you're doing to me. You're on, you're on holiday. You're on you're on the beach. Well, you're on strike. You should be looking at your fancy football. This is what you should be doing. So, what all teachers should be doing today? Yes, striking for for a noble cause, you know, like solidarity and all that sort of thing. But also doing your fancy football team, isn't it? But uh, but that's it for the podcast. Now we'll be back hopefully next week after. Uh, a win at Craven Cottage. I can't think of any reason why, Rob. None of us are turning 40. None of us are going away. Are you going away? No, school term and no more strikes planned. So I'm actually going to have to go to work. But we'll be back uh, and we'll be we'll be very frequent now uh, with the podcast between now and the end of the season. But end of the day, I was away and uh, I wasn't going to be talking about Leicester whilst on holiday, even though I did a little bit of work when I was away and a bit naughty. But there you go. Everything was fine. Okay, that's it for the podcast. If you want to get in contact at FFS Pod on Twitter, type into Facebook for Fox 8 Podcast and it's for fox8podcast at gmail.com uh, for an email and if you want anything uh, read out then uh, do make sure you notice uh, notify us via those uh, ways and means if you don't want it to be read out and want a question asked anonymously about Leicester or about whatever then again you can send that through absolutely fine you don't have to have your name read out or whatever you don't want to be embarrassed or um, so yeah get in contact how do you reckon the final few games are going to play out what would you this is what I want to know actually what would you do with this Leicester side now what would you do with it looking at the Fulham game what would you do it looking at the obviously after the Fulham game looking to Liverpool looking would you bring in a Dennis Pratt would you go Maverick and play Ndidi up front well, you know would you put Danny Ward at left back because let's face it he's better than Thomas probably in that position so it's uh, <laughs> what would you do with the Leicester side going forward to the next game would it be a different formation completely different players bring in some of the youth team let us know what you would do and uh, that's what I want to know. Every single game, individually, what would you do? So the next game, obviously Fulham, won't be a podcast before then. After that, what would you do? So when it comes to the podcast, we'll, we'll say obviously what we think and then read out yours. But for now, from myself, a newly 40-year-old Pete Selby and uh, Rob Hayes, that's it for the podcast. Get in contact with us and uh, three points. Just want three points. We can enjoy. Imagine if we get three points and we have points against Newcastle and Liverpool and we're safe. 
on the final day of the season and it's red hot at the King Power. You know, West Ham fans, they're in the Europa League final, so they're celebrating, they're fine. Leicester are safe mathematically, so it's absolutely fine and you can just have that a nice end of the season game. Doesn't matter about what's happened in the season, you're fine. You can just enjoy the game, enjoy the players and some of them making obviously their final appearance for the football club and you're thinking about the last few years rather than just this season. That would be nice rather than uh, what probably is going to happen, but there we go. Anyway, that's it for the podcast. I'm rumbling on. I'm going to go away. Bye. Bye.